Welcome to the Fire Inside Her podcast, a safe space for leadership, self-care, and community. I'm your host, Diane Schroeder, and it is my privilege to be your guide on the journey to authenticity. It is one of my favorite times of year, March Madness, where we get to watch the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. This tournament is always really special to me because it's one of my favorite memories with my dad. We spent years, my childhood memories, watching college basketball, and it was always fun to watch the excitement of the tournament for the upsets and, of course, the champions. My favorite team is the University of Kansas, and I always go with my heart and hope that they win. Last year, they finally did win, which was exciting. Even more exciting than that experience was five years ago when I got to go to the Final Four in San Antonio, Texas with my brothers and one of my best friends. When we got the tickets, we had no idea who the Final Four teams would be, and it just so happened that KU was one of them. They didn't win, they got knocked out before the final, but it was still such a great experience. One of my favorite college coaches who is a legend, is John Wooden. He's called the Wizard of Westwood. He was the head men's basketball coach for UCLA. In 12 years, he won 10 Division I titles and seven were back-to-back. He is truly a legend. One of my favorite quotes from John Wooden is, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. This quote got me through some difficult bumpy times in my leadership journey and I reflect on it quite often. Another amazing tool that John Wooden created was his pyramid of success and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. He created this incredible culture within his college team to continually win championships but it wasn't just about winning the championships it was building a cohesive team a culture of excellence and doing a great job. There's another definition when we talk about culture, about the currency of culture. And this comes from Tanum Davis Bowen of the Bowen Group. She says, the currency of your culture is the intellectual wealth that an organization cultivates when it actively encourages the consideration of diverse perspectives, explores genuine expression of differences and learning, and executes acts of authentic inclusion so that each of its members sees a reflection of themselves in the collective. Today, Trish and I talk again. We sit down and we really dive into leadership and culture. We were inspired to start talking because of the death of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. And our perspective is from the perspective of culture not to judge the police and fire organizations and their cultures, but it really got us talking about how culture is currency. And the culture of your organization is so important to tend to as a leader. 90% of budgets are typically spent on personnel, but the question I would ask leaders is how much of your time are you spending on the culture of your organization? Identifying who are the keepers of your culture and who are the keepers of the fringes of your culture so that everyone feels included and that they belong. Trish has some fantastic stories about this. It's another exciting conversation that I'm really happy to share with you. And the other episode that Trish was on is episode two, and I will link that in the show notes as well. So without further ado, let's do this again. Hi, Trish. Hi. I am so excited that you're here. (laughs) So for those of you listening, this is Trish Connolly again. She was on the show, I believe it's episode two, but the official show will be in the show notes. She's here this weekend. Her and her husband flew out so that we could go see a concert tonight with me and uh, my partner. And we thought, why not take this opportunity to be in person and record a quick podcast session on leadership and culture? 
I am so excited to be here. Yes. And really what got our conversation started, first of all, we always have the best conversations when it comes to leadership. Yes. And what really got this conversation started is, you know, talking about the recent events that happened in Memphis and zero judgment as far as, you know, we don't know the whole story in Memphis. We know that there's multiple sides to every story. So we're not armchair quarterbacking the events that took place or questioning the leadership that both the police and fire department, their leaders, the journey that they're taking them on through this experience. But it just brings up a good topic on leadership and belonging and culture specifically. And I know that you and I have always talked about the importance of, I think it's really important that we just, you know, continue to have that conversation from our perspective as leaders in male-saturated professions, how we navigate that and really the importance of it, because it seems simple, right? Like, if you have a good culture, you're going to have good people. Right. And your people are going to feel good in the organization they're in. Um, It's simple, and yet monitoring and having a good culture in your organization is really challenging. And I think it's really challenging for leaders to wrap their head around because it's not an easy button to do. Yet it's, for me, my perspective, it's the most important work that leaders need to be doing all the time is assessing their organization and the culture that they have in their organization and continually making tweaks as the organization develops and as things happen in life that impact their organization and culture. Right. It's the evolving. Yeah, absolutely. And growing with the organization. And I think, you know, it's really easy to say, okay, we're checking the lists. We have a recruitment team. We have a retention team. We have, you know, a talent acquisition, whatever you want to call it, you know, many words of trying to get good people. But if you get good people into your organization, they're not going to stay in the organization if it's a crappy culture. Especially good people won't stay because culture is important to them. And so, yes, like we do, especially in our industry, in the fire service, which we know we're behind tremendously with that DEIB uh, concept. And, And I think everybody has their hands in it currently. They're developing their DEI committees but you're right, like all that work is not going to impact that organization until they write their culture mm-hmm. and they understand that culture is the most important thing. It's the right work. Correct. And and I couldn't agree more. And I guess, you know, then, OK, so how? How do you make sure you have a healthy culture and how do you make sure that everyone feels like they belong and they are accepted for who they are? And we're not just talking about male, female, people of color, underrepresented groups, but everyone as the collective, how do you create a culture where everyone feels that they belong and they matter, and it's a healthy, functional culture that really should drive then recruitment, retention, you know, because if you have a great place to work, the recruitment and retention of talent is going to take care of itself. Exactly. People are going to know that this is the place to work and how you do that, I mean, That is the great question. What I think is really important is that leaders understand that this is something they they have to be very explicit in the culture they want in their organization. They have to act that culture at all times. They have to be the one that are diligent about watching everything that's happening, the stories that are going on in their organizations, the conversations that are being had the table officially, and then most importantly, unofficially, because I think that's where you really start understanding where your culture is going. And that has to be in the forefront of their mind all the time. And then their people, their chief officers, and their middle managers have to understand that they also are the keepers of the culture Mm -hmm. and that they have to be diligent with it. And it's not easy. We're asking people to do hard work. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read a fascinating study last week about action steps for creating an inclusive culture and, you know, this this sense of belonging, which is a different conversation than diversity, because I think we all understand that regardless, you know, uh, you can have a room of 50 white cisgender males 
and it is a diverse room. Complete. Yes. Because Thank you for saying that. Yes. Everyone has their own experience. And I think we <clears throat> as females understand that and we bring a different kind of diversity. But as you and I sit here as two white cisgender females, we're diverse because we have different experiences. Mm -hmm. And so the conversation, I think, when we say diversity automatically goes to, you know, putting people on defensive. You know, the majority gets defended because we want to talk about the importance of inclusion and belonging. So I think that the conversation really has changed and guided to, look, we all want to belong and we all want to be welcome. So that's diversity in itself. And the study really talks about how at different levels in each organization requires different work. We were talking earlier today at my house about culture is currency. Culture is the true currency and the true value of any organization. You can have your values written down. You can have all the policies and procedures and rules and regulations, but your culture is what drives that. Completely. Your culture will, as they say, will eat that for breakfast. Like those things that you're throwing out there, which yes, are important that we have those stated and we understand our mission, we understand our values. But if your culture is not backing that up, it's just, it, they're hollow words. And, exactly. and that's what we're really trying to. Right. It's, it's not checking the box. It's, you know, and those, those conversations where the rubber meets the road are at the kitchen tables. Yes. You know, they're, or at the water cooler. They're not in the boardroom. Yeah. You know, there, it has to be adopted at all levels. And really you can't expect people. And that's what really kind of stuck out to me reading this study was you can't expect your middle managers or your, you know, middle leaders and your new people to take some of the risks that the leaders of the organization oh, should be taking. Completely. And I've seen that. Like if the leaders aren't willing to have those conversations and to be the keeper of the culture, why why would anybody else bother? Right. right? It's, it's what you permit, you promote. Completely. So if you say and one thing that this is amazing and this is our values and we want you guys to all do this, yet do as I say, not as I do, yeah. that's really confusing. It's yeah, it's confusing. And then it, I think we've already said it, it just feels like hollow words. And that's when you start thinking that concept of belonging starts cracking, right? Like you say I'm important or you say this is important. Yet when you have an opportunity to defend it, and yes, it could be difficult, you chose not to. You chose not to do the hard work. Therefore, I start not feeling valued. I start not feeling like I belong in my organization. I think that's a really important conversation to have. And I love that you started it with that belonging. Belonging is about everybody and everybody brings different things to the table, right? Diversity comes in all sorts of forms. And yes, when people think diversity, they think color, they think sex, but it's just, it's a much, it's a much greater thing than that. And there's a lot of white males in my organization that don't feel belonging. And, and I've seen that. And because the diversity and their perspective, they feel isn't valued. So those feelings just start eating away at, at an organization. Um, so I, I think that really is important to talk about what you said. Well, and I think it divides, like it, it's subtle at yeah. first and it's insidious. And it's like, wait, I don't, I don't feel like I belong and I don't matter. And I'm not saying that underrepresented groups, they absolutely matter. And representation does matter. And as a fire service and many organizations, we need to do better to be more inclusive of all groups, underrepresented groups, males, females. I'm not taking away that importance. I'm saying sometimes I think we get so far ahead of where we need to be that we're not sure not where we are. Yes. We're and, not, we haven't cleaned our house. Right, right. And <laughs> yeah. expressing and showing and valuing the members of our organizations currently and understand, you know, it's, it's like, I think about it, my son, he's a really good student, but he kind of coasts. So he's easy to fall through the cracks. Yeah. And I, I see that a lot with, I call it allies in the fire service of underrepresented groups, kind of. You know, they don't really speak up, but they don't really speak down. They just show up and do their thing. And, you know, we call them the silent enablers, right? Like, we want to encourage 
people to all speak up and create that culture of belonging where it doesn't matter who you are, you feel valued and you'll speak up if people aren't being treated well. And that's across well, and the board. And our allies, and I like that you said that, our allies are truly so vital in speaking up and, and, and caring for our culture and culture of organizations. Because I tell you, as underrepresented person in our industry, I'm exhausted speaking up, right? Like, I'm like, does anybody, is anybody behind me? Does anybody have my back? Is anybody listening to what just happened? And so when you have your allies that speak up and that are there to care for that culture and to support the values that we say that we have in that organization, you start feeling like people that people get it and and they support you and they support where our organization is going. Um, and I think it's just critical. So when that happens, I'm just like, high five, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, and then I start feeling that belonging. And, right. And, and so, but when someone, when everybody knows that something was said or something was done that doesn't support what the organization says it stands for and what we try to tout when we ask people to test for our organization, like, like we're fantastic. And then stories get told or things start getting done that doesn't support that. And no one says anything. You start realizing like, I, is, is this really true? Like, what is this really important to people? Cause we just, we just said it's not important. And we showed them. Yes. So how do we do that? You know, as well as I do, it's 25%, right? You just need 25% of change makers. The tipping point. To be the tipping point. And yes. it's hard to be that tipping point, right? Yes. It's it's really a lot of work, but 25% is a small number, relatively yes. speaking. Relatively speaking. I mean, it's still really challenging to get there. Right. Um, but yes, it's not like you need a majority. It's not insurmountable. As we're having this conversation, a light, I just had this moment where I'm like, well... That 25%, that that includes our allies. Because I always think, well, we need 25% of women, you know, plug in whatever. But really, if you just have 25% of the people who understand that they're the keepers of the culture, right? that's what we need. It's empowering. Right? And I think what's really important, because you brought up what happened in Memphis. And so I really, I've been listening. It's, um, it's really hard um, to listen to. And these stories are so hard to hear over and over and over again. Um, but what I think is really important that leadership and leaders and people and organizations need to realize that when we don't keep our culture, when what what we allow can destroy us, right? And yes. so that they're going through that right now. What they allowed, what what happened could very well have been supported by their culture. And now they're they're being destroyed by them. And and we don't we don't know what the details are, but it does no. appear to be that way. And it's it's hard because I can think throughout my career of um, times where yeah, the culture eats itself, absolutely, and, and it becomes and then, the lion's den. It becomes really toxic and unhealthy, where no one feels safe, completely. No one feels like they belong, and no one feels seen. And people are empowered, feel empowered that they continue to exhibit and to act in behavior that is destructive, and um. And I think this is what we need to to be really careful that is not happening. And that's how important for me. I'm like, this is how important culture is, that it can slip. It can slip and be steadily moving in this negative direction unless we're we're constantly vigilant. Mm -hmm. That easily can happen. Well, it becomes that priority. You see it and it, it starts with you know, difficult conversations. It also starts with empowering your employees and giving them tools for like emotional intelligence and really understanding their own selves and giving people in your organization the space to do some professional development on themselves. Absolutely. I think we wait until, oh, you want to be a leader. Okay, then we're going to start with the professional development. But why wouldn't we just call it human development as an adult? Start giving people those tools when they start, when they're new to an organization. That culture ground up, that's one layer of it, you know, and then so that's a place you could start at the beginning. And then it becomes about accountability, like empowering everyone to be accountable, to align what you see your culture being, what you say your values and your mission is, and aligning those by holding people accountable to them. Absolutely. Like when people are not, when people see other people not being held accountable, they start realizing that, uh, you know, 
false words are being spoken. And so I completely agree with you. And I feel like that culture starts from the second they even test for your organization, that first interview. But I feel like that mission, vision, values is really important. And that is really something that is developed by the entire organization, is held true and is pervasive through the organization. For us, we bring it up in testing. We bring it up in uh, our annual evaluations. Is our goals of the organization supported by our our values? Like, what are our values? And is our goals reflective of that? And having that central in our communication um, and our strategic planning, yes, so that's really important. But then you have this really difficult thing to put your hand on, which is your culture that also has to be pervasive through everything you do, everything you say, and every story you hear. And yes, everybody has to be held accountable to that. It's interesting because I was asking the guys that I work with, and some of them are younger. And I, you know, so I'm asking about diversity and all these, these things and belonging. And one of the kids, I call him the kid, he's a kid, but he said, you know, Chief, do you ever think that maybe that this is a problem upstairs and not necessarily a problem within the organization? Like, do you, do you really, like, is there a miscommunication? He doesn't necessarily see it the way that I see it. And again, we start, you know, in leadership roles, we're thinking one thing and we're, we've got to change, got to change. Is it the entire thing that has to change? Is it a few people that has to change? Is it like a rank that has to change? Is it a generation? You know, so many questions. Is it a shift? And that's even complicated too, especially in the fire service, because now we're taking people that come from diverse backgrounds. And oh, by the way, you're going to live together for 48 hours at a time. You're going to see a lot of traumatic things. You're going to have to deal with a lot of stuff. And we want you to be a healthy, functional culture. Yet, I mean, how many of us come from healthy? We don't have a like, healthy family. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I, so again, yeah. recognizing how complicated it is. But I think also talking a little bit, if you don't mind sharing about your engineer last summer, we were talking about um, how he was an example of creating an inclusive culture. Yeah. And white cisgender male. Yep. Who was a white. Yeah. And yes, Diane and I were talking. My organization has suffered a few tragedies since I've worked at my organization. Um, and one of our last ones was last summer where one of our employees and an engineer who worked for our department was killed in a uh, plane accident. And he was loved and, and, and he was one of, you know, you say he was one of our, our allies. He's just a tremendous person. But, and I always knew that, but after his death, so many things came to light and I really started realizing that Daniel had so much that he was teaching us about leadership. Um, and about being an ally. And he himself, the stories that came up, which I wish I knew beforehand, which I really realized that he was the keeper of the fringes of our organization. He was the one that was creating belonging the entire time through everything he did, the text messages he would send people, how he would connect with people, the stories that people told. Like as soon as I sat down at the table and he had a female firefighter just hired, and of course being a female and a male saturated culture can feel overwhelming. And he was immediately like, I heard your dad flies airplanes. I cannot wait to meet him. And we would figure out how to connect with someone and then keep that connection going. And everybody had these stories. And him, when he came to our organization, he was very much on the fringe because he was very authentic in who he was. And he, and he didn't, he didn't change his authenticity to, to try to fit. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. he was like, hey, this is who I am. And there are people who struggled with him for quite some time. And I watched that relation. I watched him and how he dealt with that. And I, there was some concern for me. I wanted to make sure he felt that belonging. But you also have to let someone be authentic and be who they are in sort of like, we don't want them to mold. Like that is right. the opposite of what we want people to do. We want them to bring their authentic self, bring what they, their values and, and their uniqueness and change your organization for the better. Right. And he made sure he was doing that. So all these things that he brought to the table, I realized like Daniel was a true leader in our organization. And he really was someone that I was like, I need to emulate that behavior. I need to 
take care of the fringes. I need to make sure people are bringing their authentic self to the table and then making sure that people are giving them room to be who they are. And sometimes, like you said, that can be a very um, painful, it can be a challenging and painful process. And I'm sure it was for him, but he never backed down from that. And he made his way there and just, and then made our culture so much better. I love that story. And I, what I hear when you say that is, you know, it's, it's simple, but difficult. Oh, yeah. We want to create a healthy culture where everyone feels like they belong and can be their authentic selves. Right. Because life just works that, better that way. And it way. sounds so awesome and, and easy and cute and all those great things. Mm. And it's hard. So then how do you standardize that? Yes. Or fit that in? I mean, not really a, I don't like to use box because I think boxes are bad. How do you fit that into a culture in an organization where you bring all these diverse perspectives and experiences and who they are and let people be genuine while living together or working closely together in a functional team with, you know, I think it's the common goal for our profession, fixing people's problems. So whatever the common goal, that helps unite people, right? Yeah. Common goal or a common enemy. Completely. Focus on the common goal. Yes. And you know, it's if so, if Daniel was an ally and all that, it leads me to believe that there's probably more sprinkled throughout the entire, Absolutely. you know, fire service of these silent allies who are helping and creating positive change in culture and connecting people on a very authentic level. How do we create a safe place for more to step forward? Absolutely. And I think it's recognizing when you have individuals that are trying to really do that. And you you said something um, about in our line of work, you know, you have your management team and then you have your line staff. And once you get to a certain point, I sit in an office and I work every day. I'm not part of that. It's lonely. Yeah. So how do I keep my pulse on a culture that I'm not even infused in it much anymore? Yet responsible for making sure it's thriving. And And that is a challenge for leadership and they have to realize like you have a wall between you and and the line step you may have not have created it but because you're not infused in those crews all the time and you sit in your office and you have these other responsibilities your pulse on your culture is is not as strong as it once was so we're going to get back to that's why it's so important that you're giving people permission and power to be keepers of the culture and you're telling them this is the most important work you can do and part of that work is recognizing people who are making those positive impacts, who are showing up to work authentically, who are the keepers of the fringes, and taking what they're bringing to the organization and then trying to grow that. And talking to Daniel's battalion chief, he's like, I knew Daniel was like that, but I didn't realize how pervasive his positivity, his support, who he was how it impacted people. And now I wish that I had supported that even more. And so it's recognizing those people and saying, these are the kind of people that we want in our organization and making sure that those people are promoted, Mm -hmm. making sure those people have as much influence on your organization as possible, because those are the ones that are your keepers. Right. I think what you focus on grows. And so often we find ourselves in leadership roles focusing on Maybe not the behavior we want because we're trying to correct that behavior or the small percentage of an organization that is really has a pretty can be sometimes very toxic influence. So we're working to stop that, hold those people accountable or we're not because, you know, because it's it's hard. It's hard. But what if as leaders focused on the Daniels, the, the positivity, the, you know, authenticity and really promoting that because that is equally if not more contagious yes than the negative or the poor attitude or the rumors and the gossipy stuff what if we created that safe space and encouraged it like you said as your middle managers your company officers people in the middle that have that connection to both executive leadership and the workers line staff what if we focused on that and we encouraged that as leaders be like look yeah Keep promoting that because that I think is equally as contagious. 
Absolutely. And I feel like when you have people in your organization that are trying to do that and that their work is not recognized and they're not supported because that work is hard, we could see them just getting burned out on their work. Just like I don't want to be the one that's always saying, hey, can we use these terms? And hey, we're not looking at like that anymore. I don't want to be the one that's always stepping up saying, please, like, let's talk about firefighters. Uh, not firemen. We don't want to burn our people out who really want to make positive impacts on your culture. So yes, I think it's so important that we recognize that and the power those people have in the organization. And people may not recognize that power until they're not there anymore. And that's a really sad, sad thing. Mm -hmm. But I think what, for me, what I can do to, to perpetuate Daniel's legacy is I can realize that um, that work that people doing, that people may not talk about it all the time, but it is making huge impacts and to support that. At the same time, we do have to recognize when we have some toxic things going on in our culture is to realize that leadership is hard. And that's part of the tough leadership is addressing that toxicity and figuring out how to correct that because what we allow, we yep. support. So yep. also at the same time, we need to be doing that. But I agree. I think we forget that part of supporting the culture, supporting the people that are doing a really good job um, developing it in the way we want it to be developed. It's the humble, kind of subtle, I'm assuming Daniel, it sounds like Daniel was. And I, I can think yes. of people oh, that gosh. I've worked out for my career yeah. that are like similar. Yeah. And, you know, they may not want, when you say recognition, it's not like they want rainbows no. and unicorns and, you know, glitter bombs every time yes. they come to work to like, no. you're here. It's, it's like, I see you. Yes. I, it's, I recognize you. Thank you for all the work you're doing. How can I help make it better? Completely. Or what can I do to support you? So it doesn't have to be a big thing. It's a, it's a sidebar conversation. Give me ideas. How do you do this? Like pick, pick those, yes. those brains because they're gems and it's really, really important to, you know, acknowledge that. And I love that you say that because one thing that Daniel did and he, he would text me, he'd text the chief, and he'd say, I recognize the work you're doing is really hard. I recognize that you guys have such challenges and you may not always feel supported, but I want to say I appreciate the work you're doing and you're doing great work. And that I was, I'd be like, you, <laughs> but like that was small like that. And I think those are the little things that you did all the time. And those are the little things as leaders that we we need to be doing all the time. I'm trying and, and it can be challenging. We have these jobs we need to do. I get really task focused. I'm, I love to make lists and then check boxes off and be like, oh, I'm moving forward. But really, the right work also is in getting in front of people and having conversations. I try to write notes to people saying congratulations on this or thank you for your work on this. And so people feel recognized in your organization. And I think that also is the work we need to be doing all the time. And that's the hard work because for me, I feel like I'm not moving my tasks forward. Right. Well, it, it's it's a lot of things. You're juggling a lot of things. It's walking a fine line as a leader because yep. the same, you know, you've also got to be able to hold people accountable. And I think a lot of times leaders struggle with that. Like, oh, I can't gosh. have a personal relationship with you because I might have to hold you accountable. And I personally disagree with I disagree as well. It makes it really hard to be authentic and genuinely lead your people if you don't care about them. Completely. And care about them on a, a deep level. However, it also means you care about them enough to hold them accountable. Absolutely. One of my mentors always said to me, I keep this close to me when I have to have those difficult conversations, is that when you come to that space with someone because you really want them to be successful and you realize this is a barrier to their success, then you're having the right conversation. It's going to be hard, but you're coming there with an open heart and you want the best for the individual. And we always remember those difficult conversations if they're back with the heart and if they're back by really wanting that person to be successful, then it's the right conversation to have. And when you don't have that conversation because you're scared of it, you are doing such a disservice to that person in your organization. Mm -hmm. It's just really important to well, keep that in mind. It is, and it's ongoing. And those aren't skills that necessarily come natural to a oh. lot of leaders. I definitely think it's probably a more feminine aspect of leadership. It's the more emotional side. It's not so much um, strong, masculine 
do as I say, say as I do, but really tapping into your feelings. And I'm not talking masculine, feminine as men and women. We all have both qualities. It's the yin and yang um, of life, but really kind of tapping into that. And it it opens you up to be vulnerable, not just authentic, but vulnerable because now you're showing people that you care. And that can be kind of scary too. Yeah. Um, I also think part of culture issue, culture struggles is the technical problems versus adaptive challenges, which we learned about several years ago. Yeah. And I see how true that is. And so for people listening, like a technical problem is I'm having a hard time getting this software on my computer to work. Can IT come fix it? Boom. They fix it. Now, the problem is we're having struggles with our culture. Great. Can we just have IT come fix it? Right. (laughs) It doesn't work. And a lot of times we really want it to work because technical fixes are usually pretty easy. You can get it done in a time frame. The thing works now and life goes on. Culture or those adaptive challenges, you're changing hearts and minds. And you are, you know, at the tip of the spear, you're trying to, you know, understand people and explain things in a the microcosm of your organization while funneling all the information from the metaverse and the society of what's going around to try to keep your bubble healthy and functioning. And I think with adaptive challenges, oftentimes you're disrupting. It's a disruptor sort of thing, right? You're going to make people uncomfortable. You're going to ask them to really analyze their behavior, analyze their values. You're going to disrupt. You're putting the heat under the organization and you're saying, like, this isn't an easy fix and this is going to be uncomfortable for all of us. And that's why people with adaptive problems, they shy away from adaptive problems because that is just challenging. Well, and it becomes less about fixing the adaptive challenge and more about silencing the disruptors. <laughs> it's like, you know what? I don't want to hear any more of these. It's too much change. It's too much. You know, it's yes. It's finding that as a disruptor, you know, to find that balance of pushing at the rate yeah, organizations people, can handle it. Right, right. And still keep pushing, not get burned out from being the one pushing. Right. And also and not turning everybody off because you're pushing them too hard. You've got to push people to the point where they can make those changes, not to the point where they just they, they turn their back on it. Right. And um, they shut down. Yes. And that's really hard when you question people's culture, when you question what's happening. And I, this is from personal experience. People are really defensive. Right. And I think when they have something that they know isn't quite right, um, they they come with their pitchforks. And their elbows out. I'm like, okay. So what they're telling me is there's an issue. There's an issue that needs to be addressed. And they're scared of that. They're scared of the disruption you're about to start because they're comfortable with what they have going on. Right. I feel like those areas where you're like, hey, I'm going to ask you a couple hard questions about this. And they're like, let's explore. You're like, okay, they're, they're pretty open to what's happening. And I think that comes down to the stories that are being told that aren't your official stories, but those unofficial stories tell everything about your culture. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like those kind of changes are challenging for people and they, and, and people feel like personally attacked. And I think that's when it's really important to realize like, Hey, we're not personally attacking anybody. We're looking at things that are going on in our organization that we don't think supports our culture. I think it also goes back even a step further. When you encounter that as a change maker, as like, look, I see that my culture is not healthy I, I want action steps to take it. First of all, there's no roadmap that's like yeah. easily mapped out. I think it's pretty bumpy. It's, you know, it's the same but different journey to learning to be authentic and really embracing who you are. If you encounter people who are defensive and shut down, like that's a red flag to say, okay, before we do this, we need to make this a safe space. Completely. Before I can talk to you about culture, I need you to put your guard down and yeah. be safe and feel like you belong. And, chicken I'm, he- egg. and I'm hearing you. Yes. And I think I, I read something somewhere and I always think about this, that when you're ready to sit down with someone and have a hard conversation, you have to be willing to sit at the same side of the table with them. Mm-hmm. And I always think about that. Am I ready emotionally to sit at the same side of the table with them and have this conversation? And sometimes I'm not ready yet. Like, I have to get there. And and so I think that's really important. Like, you've got to be there with that person. And I think once you open up to, once they realize that you're not there to attack them, then real change can be made. But you have to realize that people are going to be defensive when we're talking about these culture. We're talking about adaptive challenges and uh, so much. Well, and then to tie it back in yeah. to diversity. 
and to tie it into equity and really belonging, yes, it starts at culture. Mm-hmm. No, it's really not an easy fix. And we don't really have a plan or solution because if we did, that's the million dollar solution, right? You take these action steps. Well, and it would and- be a technical problem. Exactly. Right? We're talking about a challenge. Adapt- yeah, we're talking about adaptive problems. <laughs> right. So as as a leader, I think it's just really, it, it's awareness. It all starts with awareness, regardless of, you know, you have got to know yourself as a leader. You've got to know where you stand, what your values are, your purpose, everything that you have as a human. And then does that align with your organization currently? Can it align with your organization in the future? And you know, okay, how do you start making that change before you can even really worry about recruitment, retention? You know, how do you get what you have, culture that you have, the employees that you have, you have to start buying in on this healthy culture change to start moving that needle? Absolutely. I think it's about being able to be really succinct about the expected culture that you want in your organization and then giving power to your leaders and your middle managers to make that happen. And not only just power to make those changes, but really recognize that what you're asking them to do isn't easy, Mm -hmm. but it's your expectation that this, and being really clear that this is the expectation of the organization. And then when people see that, like, then that helps shape that, but you can't do it all by yourself. You have to be clear where you want your organization to be in the culture you want to have. Then you have to create the people care for it expectation that this is the behavior you want. And then I think you need to have your ear to the ground to the stories that are being told, the ones that are negative to the red flag, those and being like, okay. And also the stories that are positive that you want to grow, Mm -hmm. Daniel, Mm -hmm. right? I think that such good steps because you're right, without a healthy culture, the DEI, we're not ready for it. Right. We're not ready. And It's okay to not be ready for it. What's not okay is to not acknowledge it. Right. You know, to continue to do what you've always done because it's easier, because you just don't really know what to do, or because it's the way we've always done it. It's our tradition. It's our history. That's not okay. Right. And and I think it's, you know, and this could be a whole different episode is, you know, especially in the fire service, it's got to change. Yep. You know, the fire service itself, it's changing. You're right. And and by saying we're not rated for it, that could be a uh, a real big excuse to not move forward. And right. that's not what I'm saying. I'm right. saying, oh, like, yes, the culture is the pillar that's going to support that DEI stuff. What I want, and I think we, we both know needs to happen, is like, we just can't form these committees because that's what we think we need to be doing. And that they're, like you said, they're just window dressings to your fire department. So you say, hey, we're trying to do something. But to really make impact, we have to realize the foundation is your culture. And then you build on that foundation and you start making real change. Well, and if you put the work that we put in for EMS training, for fire training, for, you know, all the the actions that we take, if we put the same amount of work and passion and energy into creating a healthy culture and building inclusivity and building belonging and building, you know, that psychologically safe space to come work where people can be authentically themselves and they know that when they show up, they just belong and they can not have to worry about all those other things. Imagine the difference that would make. Absolutely. I mean, the sky is the limit. Mental health. I mean, like right there, man, right there. Right. And as data starts to come out that mental health and how you feel at work emotionally is directly related to your performance. It's related to your injuries. It wears on your mental health. So that's also very important to C- consider. We talked about a little bit that leaders of the organization, they've lost that huge pulse on the culture a little bit because they are sort of removed. But those are the things that what you just said is one way that they really can monitor that sick leave, that long-term leave, those mental health issues. That's all reflective of your culture. Absolutely. And so there is data that that leadership is looking at all the time because it's about budget right? Wait a second. Something's not right here. Okay, let's dig into this. And is reflective of your culture. Happy organizations have good cultures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And thriving. And, and it's just, it's important that we continue the conversation. It's just really important that it, everyone has to be a part of this conversation. So if 
if you're not ready to be part of the conversation, then, you know, you got to check yourself. You've got to, you know, figure out what needs to happen to get you ready to be part of the conversation, especially as a leader. If you're not a leader, if you're an informal leader or a boots on the ground employee, you're not in the ivory tower, you're not them, you're, you're us. What advice would you give? To, well, I, to, with the culture, like how well, do you do that? Just as we all of our brothers keep it right, for me, that's about culture. And for, I tell people, as soon as you walk into the organization, you're forming your informal leadership. Like informal leadership is even more powerful than formal leadership. Agreed. And so you need to understand that Everybody, as soon as they walk into that organization, that is your responsibility to understand that culture, where we are and where we need to go and to be Daniel, man. Take care of your people. Take care of the fringes. Come to work with a positive attitude. Work can be challenging, but when we look at it that we're in this together and that we keep that positivity going, like that is affecting everybody. Yes. So, like, remember, like, we are all leaders in this, every single one of us in the organization. I agree. And it's, it's what, again, it goes back to what you focus on grows. And, yeah. you know, it, it's not saying that you have to pretend everything's fine all the time. I think being positive is uh, a, definitely a mindset and you be that change that you want to see. And also it's that being authentic and genuine, like, man, that was tough. Or there are going to be tough days at Absolutely. work. There's going to be questions. and. So really trying to walk in with that mindset and not get sucked into negativity and also being comfortable enough to speak up yeah, and be that disruptor. Be a disruptor in a positive way. Realize right. like that, that's, you've got challenge when you say, see things that aren't right. Mm -hmm. um, because if we don't challenge it, it grows. And I think for a leadership, from the leader's point of view, make sure that you surround yourself with people. It's lonely. It does get lonely as you start to promote up. From day one, we're taught you're working in a crew, you're in teams of two, you do all these things together, and then you start to promote up and you're like, wait a minute, I'm now on a desert island and I feel pretty lonely and I don't really know what's going on. You know, with all the crews that I was once part of, you know, you're separate from that cultural significant piece yeah. in any organization. And so it's finding your people as a leader, whether it's outside of your organization, whether it's a group, whatever it is, to bounce ideas off of, to keep, you know, that's another way to keep the culture moving in a way you want is continue to make connection outside of that. Absolutely. Like have your people that you are growing these, growing these concepts with, just like we do. I feel like mm -hmm. we can have these great conversations and bounce things off of. That's so important to do. And so creating um, that support for yourself because it is hard when you start promoting up the organization, but then also making time to to have lunch with crews, meet with crews. I think that is imperative being connected to your organization as well. And listening to them, even if it's the last thing you want to hear about, is complaining or listening about the little things. Because those little things are big and it's all part of that, you know, feeling heard, feeling seen, fe feeling valued and being part of that safe space, which ties directly into culture. Yeah. Just as culture is not easy uh, to watch, it's not easy to, to, to say, yeah, just go visit the crews. Like they got some stuff to say. So get ready to buckle down and hear it yeah. and be defensive and, and listen with an open heart. That's part of developing your culture is letting people feel feel seen, heard, recognized in what they have because they've got some stuff to say. Well, and it's they don't know how much you care until they know how much you care. Yeah. You know, that's yes, the, I love that. If, love if, that. if they don't know, and that's kind of hard because you may think you are crushing it and like doing all these great things. And they're like, yeah, well, what about this? And the last thing you want to hear is, no, I don't want to hear about that. I want to talk about all the great things I'm doing. But it's that perspective and being, like you said, open. And that's hard to do. But if we expect our leaders, our middle leaders, our company officers to do the same thing, we got to follow along with that. As we wrap up, let's come up with three things that leaders or anyone listening can do right now to start impacting positive culture change. And I'll go first. I will say 
you've really got to start looking inward at yourself and understand what your values, your purpose, your mission, and how you can contribute. What can you do to contribute? And are you contributing currently in a positive way or in a negative way? Yeah. And really kind of analyzing, look inward first, you know, that one finger pointing out, four fingers pointing back at you. So that would be my first step is look inward and really do a good self-assessment on yourself. I think, yes, I completely agree with you. I think another thing that leaders need to do, and, and I've said this over and over again, is just really um, listen to the stories that are being told in your organization and not just those stories, those ones that are being had around the kitchen table, like we say the water cooler, whatever, not the ones in meetings, but those other stories, those are real ones that are telling you about your culture and about your organization. So listen up and then don't be afraid. Be a leader. And when you see red flags, address it. Mm-hmm. Shine the light on them. And, and those stories are going to tell you what those red flags or the good things that are happening in your organization. So pay attention. I agree with that. And I think the third thing would be patience. You know, patience, um, one of the benefits of being a leader is the ability to see ahead, see far out, you know, see, see the end result. And, you know, that's part of the training. That's part of whatever it is. It's an expectation everybody has of of us in that way. And that's, and when it comes to culture and, you know, everything else, that's going to take patience because you're changing hearts and minds. It's not a quick fix. And I think, just having that patience to know that you are diligent and if you are consistent and if you can create that foundation, I think it's the peak and then it all falls into place pretty quickly and then it becomes maintenance. There's that thing, and I think this goes with that, that your culture is like a building and if you're not maintaining it, it's going to fall apart. So yes, it takes patience and it takes maintenance. It's continuous and it's it's hard because it's not always a checklist and we're all checklist people. We arrive and we figure out a problem, we fix the problem and we go back to the station or whatever it is. It's it's more about being curious and really, you know, it's it's the inner work that's pretty hard, but definitely possible. Thank you so much. Such a fun conversation. Thank you for inviting me. As always, and I can't wait to do it again. Me too. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this episode. I know how valuable time is, and I'm so grateful you have given me part of your time. Curious on what to do next? Go ahead and follow wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can get updates each week when new episodes are released and head on over to the fireinsideher.com slash audio for a free audio to help you get started on your self-care journey. Until next time, be brave, be kind, and be authentic.